Hello, everybody, and welcome to Libromancy, a podcast about the magic of books. I'm Josh, and today I'm talking about The Last Echo of the Lord of Bells by John Bierce. So let's battle the magic of books. Wow, everybody. Let's just almost take a moment of silence here for how good this book was or how exciting this book was. There's a couple minor nitpicks I'm going to have with it that we'll talk about, but this was such a good book. I'm kind of, well, I'm not kind of, I'm very, very sad that I waited all this time to read this book. I didn't really have a good reason to. I mean, it only came out a little bit ago, but I it came out and I didn't read it because I wanted to read it, the full reread, and I'm really glad I did the full reread before you know, up to this book. But man, this book was exciting. And there's just so much to talk about. So let's see, where do we want to talk? Okay, in a non-spoilery way, this book was good, but I feel like it had a little bit to a lot of bit of pacing problems. I feel like John Beers was trying to kind of get things set up and then I felt like it was almost a little bit of a bait and switch for the kind of the final, not the final climax, but the uh, the fights that are going on and the, the things they have to do. Now, am I mad about the pacing and disappointed? No, not really. It, it's just a thing that I've noticed that it just did not. It felt like the end of the book was at the sixty-ish, seventy-ish percent mark, or could have been, and then it kept going. And that. And that's not even right, but I, the part where I thought, oh, this is what the point of the book is going to be about happened at like 50 to 60%, and I was like, oh, crap, what's the rest of this book going to be? Okay, here's what it is. Another little minor thing is that I think John Bierce would have been a little bit better suited if he'd left a couple things just unknown. Uh, minor things. Who sent the letter to Elustin? Who did this? How did this kind of happen? That part, those things could have been left out, and I think it would have been just fine. There's... Okay, I think let's try and do a little bit of character work. I think our characters show some good growth. We see some, and, and some don't show growth, and it's intentional and it's shown, and, and that's fine. We see a lot of new things about our characters, though. The atmosphere, man, there are some scenes where it is just intense, and that we're going to talk about a couple of them. Man, I was almost crying in like tears of excitement and joy and just epicness as I was reading these scenes. It was so good. And I do think that John Bierce's writing has come a, a ways, you know, he's gotten much better at it. I don't have anything really negative to say about the writing aside from the pacing, which I already talked about. Now, the plot, the plot is an interesting thing here because the last book was kind of our pay, our, our build-up book, and this is our payoff book, and I think it worked. It was good. The plot, you know, stop a Lustin, save the world, and then they have to save the world from a different thing. And then, like I was saying earlier, there was a lot of investment paid off in this book. A lot of things we learned in the beginning books and in later books, and then a lot of threads closed here, and I think that was good. I think logically it all makes sense, the the way people acted, the way things turned out, things that have happened. And oh boy, I just enjoyed the bo this book all the way. It was kind of a rock star ride from beginning to end. So fun. So let's we're going to get into our spoiler section here. Okay, so spoilers, like I said, spoiler section here. This is so good. And I think we're going to have to just start at the with the problems with my pacing, or the problems I had with the pacing. This book feels like it is 45% just getting to Havoth, kind of doing the War Council, getting there, seeing Elustin's um, forces get there, seeing the Conclave's forces get there, then like 7% fighting in Havath against the separate armies until... They use the chitin wand to by breaking it to bring the labyrinth forward, and then it destroys the labyrinth. And then it was about seven seven thousand percent of this book was fighting Heliothrax, and then you know ten to twelve percent was of it was an epilogue. Now I'm not gonna say that I don't like didn't like the fights between Heliothrax, but geez, Heliothrax was a 
big fight and it just took an overwhelming portion of the book at least that's how it felt like i was reading it for ages and for the monster that heliothrax had become yeah this was warranted and the 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 thing it was good but it just felt like so much so let's let's talk a little bit about that heliothrax okay i have to i have to retract me calling heliothrax an idiot in the last book or in book five the siege because it was not the avathi empire that tricked and hid um Heliothrax's lair away from them, but it was Andesthun, a different dragon, a lightning illusion dream dragon who had done that to get a hold of Indris, not to get a hold of, but to kind of date and court Indris. And so really you can put all of this on Indris and Andesthun, you know, if you guys had been less dumb and like, you know, just uh, made it like normal, gone on regular dates instead of being like, haha, look, I, you know, only pissed off the most powerful dragon in the entire world, right? A dragon with a dragon affinity, but... That so that you know, but that's okay. This is part of the book, you know. Let's let's talk about Heliothrax's bad idea: merging other dragons to yourself. Okay, now theory, yes, kind of a good idea. Like you are increasing your affinity count, you are teaching yourself, you know, making yourself way more powerful. Bad idea. You don't have that much time to actually practice and get good with them. And like Alustin has told us every time, you can't expect a new affinity or a new plan, or a new strategy to work immediately in battle the first time. She hasn't had no time to practice. She's been absorbing these dragons, which, I mean, this is power for power's sake crossing a line. She wants to be the biggest, baddest dragon on the continent. I have to be the best. I'm going to suck up all these other dragons. Their life is better. I can better use their abilities than they can. They can't be trusted. They can't be good enough, right? And she is absurdly powerful to the point where she basically takes everybody on and again it is everybody and is winning until the very end now her death is so sweet but let's talk a little bit more about other things before then talia we learned that her skeleton is a super bomb basically if she ever uses her bone mana on her own skeleton she will explode and cause a basically a nuclear bomb's worth of damage to whatever she touches and wherever she blows up gets acknowledged as a great power because she makes heliothrax heliothrax flinch that was so epic seeing talia fight heliothrax one-on-one and just dominate heliothrax now granted heliothrax has dragon affinity and healing and can just and she was but man this fight was so good <laughs> talk about eudaxus high priest of uh Indris. he was so funny because he's ripped and he keeps mentioning how ripped he is and i'm like yeah i get it like eudaxus is pretty awesome is so fun now there's so many people we got to talk about here andestun dies indris dies emminson d's dies in this fight now i was a little i thought more people would die honestly i mean there's a lot of death i guess i guess i thought i didn't think i i'm not, i'm hesitant sometimes it's good to have characters die to show their stakes but at the same time i'm like you know what I don't care. I feel like the stakes are there even if nobody dies. There's a lot worse things than dying, like being under the, the ruling of Heliothrax and his or her mess up, messed up priorities, right? So at sometimes I'm like, I really want there to be a death, but I'm usually like, no, I don't need there to be a death among my main characters. These are all cool. These are all, you know, these ones were tough ones. Indris, especially because she just packed it with the warlock, uh, Thaddeus. So, but Indris did some amazing things. She got that bite on Heliothrax right there near the end, biting her on her butt or, you know, or worse area right there. Very nice, very powerful. <laughs> Killing 
LFA Apex, the human affinity man. And it's like, man, if you've got a human affinity, what are you doing? Like, you are being so... You're doing this so poorly because he gets himself killed again by Indris, like, immediately. She just squishes him. Very funny. There's a lot of good fights, and I really like this. But I did feel a little bit of the battle fatigue where I'm just like, man, this fight's going on forever. What's the next step? How are we going to get to the next spot? Let's... That's okay, but there's so many good moments here. Let's talk about a couple of them then. Okay, we're going to skip the Heliothrax fight in the end for the little bit because uh, that comes later with Kanderon. So we know that Kanderon is becoming a lich of some sort. I love that we got some point of view from her where she's kind of setting up her lich domain and her lich sleep, and then she's ready to, you know, she's working on it. It's like, oh yeah, it'll be at least a year. But Elustin and the last the last echo of the Lord of Bells, okay, I did not predict that it would be bureaucracy, that Elustin would have manipulated things with his ink and his Farseer, uh, you know, affinity in order to change directions and change orders and basically have the capital of Havoth just blow itself up. With a little bit of help from, you know, a couple sparks from him. That was so crazy and good. It was well done. And I like Talia's parents. They were hilarious. Oh, look at this. We're going to have a little challenge and fight each other to see who could kill more of you guys. Oh, and his her mom fights with a, a broadsword. Great sword, broadsword that she shoots fire out of to propel herself faster. While her dad just, like, uses an ember and, like, burns people to, you know, burns people. But, like, has it move through people super fast and kill them. That was just... Oh my gosh. And there was a lot in this book. And this was a good thing, I thought. Well, it's a good thing and a medium thing, right? But there was a lot of kind of philosophizing in this book. And it was really good. I didn't feel like it was, felt like maybe it was just a little bit heavy handed. There was a lot of talk about it, but it's kind of been building up for, you know, six, seven books. So it's not that bad. Kandoran talking with Sabe about kind of like, hey, what do you, what's your goal for power? What's your goal for getting rid of the great powers? Like, you can't just get power for more power because then you become paranoid about, oh, well, what if I lose my power? If I have gold just for the sake of having gold, then I'm afraid, always afraid somebody's going to come and take it. I'm going to lose what I have. When you push yourself to unreasonable amounts of money or unreasonable amounts of power. And that leads to problems, right? There's no shortcuts to making the world better. I mean, it was just so much good stuff and talking about a lot of talk about revenge and vengeance, of course, because, you know, Hugh could have gone for vengeance against a lot of people, vengeance against his family, vengeance against Rhodes, who was in this book. And as much as he was good, it was like, I don't really care about Rhodes, but like, sure, Rhodes, you're cool. You're the Frost Mage vigilante. Like, go do something else somewhere else where we don't have to deal with you anymore. Also, I was a little, this is really tough to think about. Like, Alustan is an interesting character because... Throughout the whole thing, he is never sorry that he destroyed Havath City, that he gave plenty of time for them to escape is fine, but like he never actually feels bad about it or recuses himself against the revenge he took. He never says, you know what, it wasn't worth the revenge. And maybe it was, I'm sure it was done on purpose, right? Like John Beers could not have been writing this book and been like, you know what, I'm just accidentally not going to have Alustin feel bad about it or sorry about it. No, he's he knows that he did bad and he knows why. Like I was perpetuating a cycle of revenge. There's nothing better for it. I didn't make the world good, you know. But he's like, but I'm I would still do it over again and I wouldn't change it. And it's not bad. It's just interesting, like that he, you know. And I love that Kandarin, you know, saves him by you know teleporting him to her planar space while she's incinerating him for the the trial to see and then she's like oh no you've got a lot of work to do for me like i'm sorry that i messed up and didn't teach you to be better you know as a, as your parent kind of thing it was so good i just kendra is so good she's like 
this perfect, not this perfect, but she's like this, I'm your mother and I'm going to tell you what to do and you're going to do it. And she's super powerful. So of course she totally can. And Lucia's like, yep, okay, I'm just going to do what you say and we're going to go off world and do some fun stuff. And ah, just her plans for the, the gang, for Hugh and Godric and Sabe and Talia, she's like, you guys going to go do some of this. You're going to go do some of this. Go learn some magic here. Go ma- learn some magic there. You guys need to do practice on this. Like, I'm going to set you guys up. You're going to be named. You're going to be awesome, which we learn a little bit of what a named are and ascendants are, but not enough, just enough to keep us interested. It was really nice. So well, let's talk about Havoth City for a minute. City of brass and and granite or marble right and it was so cool and they have seven intertwined mages or you know liches and they have this uh, intertwined um, that's like a relay device that kind of just tampers down on the uh, reaction that liches have to be being made on top of each other right and they basically are just like hey you know what we don't want to be slaves anymore or we want to die and that's I was like, oh, this is like, we're not just talking about simple stuff. Like, they're all just like super patriots. We love Havoth. We're going to fight, fight, fight. But, you know, we actually want something. That was nice. Oh, let's talk a little bit back in about Heliothrax. Okay, here's my question. The city's been destroyed. The labyrinth is still there. I know, I guess it's not really a question. Like, but Heliothrax at that point, you know, should have just run away. Or not, but she can't, can't run away, can she? Because she's too prideful for that. I was like, she... Could have just ran away for a little bit. And Asthun, you know, she could have found her home. She could have, after she killed him especially, you know, all of his illusions are going to be gone. She could have easily found his home, her home. And now I know why she couldn't just find her home again is because it was layered with dream magic and illusion magic, which makes a little bit more sense. I still think she's a little stupid for losing her home when she went out hunting one day. Like, come on. I mean, sure, it's illusion and dream magic. And we got to talk about Sabay. I am sorry, guys. I'm all over the place. But there was just so much in this book. Sabe basically has every form of, of armor she can come up with. She's got Starfire armor. She's got Storm armor. She's got Aether armor. I mean, not Aether armor, but like she has all of her. She's got her Steel armor, her Stone armor that she can do. Like, it's pretty amazing. And the way she learns how to do every, do these things with them, she breaks through the shield. And then we learn, oh my gosh, Indris is going to be attached to Heliothrax. <clears throat> proving that Heliothrax can't handle power because she just wants to keep going and get more and more power. Oh, you fought with me? I'm going to, you know, take you and make you here. Okay, now we're going to have to talk about... There were some really good scenes and really good emotional moments here. The first one I want to talk about was when Valia is giving the last of her warlocks um, some pacted weapons to create packs with. And she's like, Valia wanted to weep and how excited her recruits were. She wanted to weep that they felt such pride and they were like, oh, I want to pact with this one even though I won't survive it. And we, we got to save Havoth City. And it's just like, you could feel her emotion that she was just so torn up about it because she's still trying to figure out what do I do? What, how are these potential, you know, backers of the multiverse doing here? Like, why is this like this? How, what is happening? You know, and it was such a good moment where she's like, no, my recruits. And then she's sad because, you know, they've, they all get killed. And she's like, I can't, like, I've done this all for nothing. I didn't have so powerful. And then the next scene is talking about, Heliothrax has her ability where she can just kind of shoot out every affinity magic she has. It kind of messes up stuff. Very dangerous, right? And the the next blast of this is coming in because they've kind of held her to the next fight. And that's something. It felt almost a little bit like boss stages. It was kind of funny. Godric does break a hammer, which is always good. But this is the moment that was like, I was near crying while reading this, like tearing up, but not. And the words were, and Hugh held. And we'd get a paragraph of what's happened in other places. And Hugh held. 
and Hugh held. And it was like, oh my gosh, like this is the most epic, the most exciting part of this book. It is unspeakably awesome that he is holding up against the stand and saving everything. And then he's passing out. And meanwhile, at the same time, Kandarin's like, you know what? I am so mad that stuff is going on and that this typhoon had to be released. I'm going to wreck my own house. And she breaks stuff and she's like, you know what? I don't need a special dragon oven, an oven to cook dragons. I love the taste of dragons, but do I need it right this second? No, rip it out. Rip this out. I have to go save Hugh. And she totally rips out everything that was kind of like extra because apparently she'd been done making herself a lich for quite a while, but she just wanted it to be perfect so this is you know a good scene right here and she rips it out and she wakes up and she starts flying through these interdimensional travels and she is awesome when she gets there she tackles heliothrax and her size changing abilities are impressive now that she's a lich and she's basically all crystal she can just zoop 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 bigger smaller bigger smaller right so she tackles her and then she shoots her in the forehead with a beam of starfire that's you know only 20 feet long if it was an inch Yep, by the way, she kept her planar, her stellar, and her her planar crystal and her stellar affinity. Why? How? Well, she put a star as her heart for a lich, right? So that's pretty cool. But this beam that she's destroying Heliothrax with is not just a regular spell. No, no, no. That's too pedestrian for Kandarin. She's just physically shunting the excess heat and power and might of a star out of her mouth into Heliothrax to destroy her and kill her she does it was amazing and then she curls up with Hugh and she purrs and it's oh her purring was so nice their relationship is so good and so awesome and then there's so much in this book you guys that was so good there's so much else that we could be talking about I'm just like too much to talk about Let's talk about one more thing. I loved the little beach scene at the end of the world. What do you mean the waves aren't 40 feet high and going to kill us? You have beach? This is an impossibility. We can't do this. And of course, they're just being, you know, being the fools on purpose there. But it was so good, you guys. This book was a blast and a half. I'm so glad I was able to read it. I really couldn't put it down. It was so interesting and fun. It was very difficult to put down. But I think that's going to wrap up my discussion of The Last Echo of the Lord of Bells by John Beers. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to David Hillowitz for the intro and outro music. Of course, if you have any questions, comments, please send those to LibromancyPod at gmail.com. Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. And remember to battle the magic of books. 